across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. This morning it looks very much as though the game is up. Boris Johnson returns to the House of Commons today to make a statement on his Brexit plans after sending a new proposal to Brussels yesterday which effectively takes us out of the European Union just in time for the end of October. This opposition to Brexit looks more and more confused and bewildered especially after Boris's speech at the Manchester conference yesterday but we shall find out what tricks, if any, Jeremy Corbyn has up his sleeve. My guess is that, as I said yesterday... They have run out of ideas. We'll be talking to Anand Menon uh, from the UK in a changing Europe to find out what he makes of the actual declaration of intent from Boris Johnson because, of course, it does include an Irish backstop scenario uh, which some people think will work and some people don't. Certainly, he seems to have got the DUP on board. He seems to have got the ERG on board as well who have basically declared the deal to be fantastic. We'll be looking into the reaction from Brussels this morning as well where the deal has not actually been dismissed out of hand and whether the bureaucrats there... Uh, will not have to work out whether it's a trap or whether it is a way out of the Brexit logjam that we've all found ourselves in for the last two and a half years. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be looking into the announcement that police watchdogs are to probe Scotland Yard over how they were hoodwinked into investigating the fantasies of paedophile Carl Beach, who falsely accused a whole series of politicians of a series of heinous crimes. It now appears that Labour's deputy leader, Tom Watson, may have put undue pressure on the police to do more than they really needed to do. 0344 499 1000. Plus, it is National Poetry Day, so in honour of that, I'm not going to do what everyone else is going to do, run write a poem. I'm actually not going to write a poem. But if you want to send me some poems based upon the Brexit scenario, by all means do. Keep them clean, and I might even read them out. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So Conservative Party conference ended yesterday with pretty much a bang rather than a whimper. Uh, Parliamentary business seems to have ground to an all-time halt. Nothing seems to be being done at all. We haven't heard anything uh, from the Ramonas. We haven't heard from Jeremy Corbyn. We haven't heard from Caroline Lucas. We haven't heard from Joe Swinson. We haven't heard from Ian Blackford. We haven't heard from Nicola Sturgeon. We haven't heard from any of these parties who don't want to leave the European Union and have been quite candid about how they feel about that. And what we do know uh, is that Boris Johnson is sailing on ahead pressing forward with a new deal, having given it to Brussels and waiting for them to come back. Basically, briefing last night that anyone in Brussels who doesn't like this deal is basically crazy and is in danger of making us leave without a deal. 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls coming up over the next three hours because we're here until one o'clock. Let's talk to Anand Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Anand, very good morning to you. Morning, how are you doing? Oh, very well indeed. I feel as though, um, and you may correct me if I'm wrong, that this is kind of reaching the final furlong of this rather long marathon that we've been engaged in for the last three years and that finally we've got somebody who is determined to make it happen and by hook or by crook, it is going to happen. Well, yes and no. I mean, obviously, the <laughs> Prime Minister wants us to leave and wants us to leave by the 31st of October and he tables some proposals and there is uh, a lot of interesting stuff in those proposals, but bear in mind... By law, if Parliament doesn't accept a deal, then we have to ask for an extension, so the saga will just churn on and on and on. Well, it may, but, I mean, we could get to that point and an extension could be asked for, even though the Prime Minister said he doesn't want to do that, and then it could be denied. 
It could be denied. I'm, personally, I mean, I'm, I do not think the European Union will say no if we ask. But, of course, the alternative scenario is we end up with a deal based on the Prime Minister's proposals and, and Parliament accepts it. I think at the moment, I think both are quite unlikely, but things are changing fast. Well, they are. And, I mean, looking at the deal that is before us, and I haven't read the entire document, I'm trusting people like you to have done that, Anne, and I've obviously read the summaries <laughs> of it. Um, the DUP seem to think that it's OK as far as the Irish backstop is concerned. Um, the ERG group uh, have basically called it fantastic. And so the numbers game changes slightly when that happens, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. There seems little doubt that the numbers are changing. I don't. The DUP has expressed, have given a cautious welcome to this. Remains to be seen whether the DUP remain united in voting on this, and it remains to be seen how many of the ERG the Prime Minister uh, will lose, and how many Labour MPs, therefore, he's dependent on. Remember. All of this is happening in the context where everyone thinks there's going to be an election. So one of the considerations for Labour MPs is not just going to be what do you think of the Brexit deal, mm. but also do you want to give a win to Boris Johnson immediately before an election that will boost his chances of winning that election? Yeah, well, it would boost his chances of winning that election, but for the 25 Labour MPs who are in leave voting seats who want to keep those seats in the upcoming election, maybe they vote the way uh, that they think is the most sensible thing to do, and that would be to vote leave. Possibly, yeah. I mean, th there is an element of truth to that, definitely. But it's worth bearing in mind that even if you're a Labour MP in a Leave voting seat, it doesn't mean that the majority of Labour voters are Leave voters. No, it so, doesn't. But it means that you could win that seat if you voted to Leave, as indeed uh, the people of that particular constituency had instructed you to do. It certainly is a calculation that each Labour MP is going to have to make yeah. based on the nature of the vote they had. Yeah, I mean, it will be an issue for them. I mean, we've heard that with the MPs from Stoke, for instance, saying that they wish they'd voted for Theresa May's deal. There's yeah. definitely a pressure on some Labour MPs, no doubt about that. And what we do know as well from some of these MPs is that not only do they wish they had voted for her deal, but many of them would, would have voted for it if they thought by rebelling, they would get it over the line. And many of them said that they didn't vote for it because they just didn't think the numbers were there. But had they known the numbers to be sure, they would have joined in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is, you know, for all the fact that Brexit is a new division in our politics, those tribal political loyalties still exist. And mm. it's very, very hard for Labour MPs to vote for Tory proposals. Uh, the difference now, I suppose, is that people are getting fed up. There's a lot of evidence that people want this Brexit thing out over and done with. Whether that proves to be enough to get them to vote for this deal, I don't know, because, of course, what the Ben bill does is it means you're not facing a straight choice between this deal and no deal. You're facing a choice between this deal and an extension. Yeah, and we've seen uh, Giva Hofstadt talking overnight about how uh, he says the original, sort of the, the immediate reaction to the plan is not particularly positive. We're waiting for them uh, to give us their sort of full response later on this morning, maybe later on this afternoon. Um, but what's your uh, vision of what's being said in Brussels? What are you hearing? Well, there are two issues. There's a question of substance, there's a question of style. There's very little doubt, I don't think, that there will be concern in Brussels about two or three aspects of what's being proposed. Firstly, the Prime Minister's proposals do imply the need for customs checks at or very close to the intra-Irish border, which is something that both sides have said they wanted to avoid. And that will cause concern in the Republic of Ireland. The second thing is, because this scheme is specifically time-limited, i.e. the Northern Ireland institutions get to vote on its continuance every four years, it's not what the European Union consider a backstop, because for them a backstop cannot be time-limited. But, given those reservations, I think the European Union also know that they can't afford simply to turn around and say no. 
because that, in a sense, will be grist to the mill of Boris Johnson in saying, look, I tried, they were unreasonable, we need an election, give me a majority. So I wonder whether they aren't going to be more diplomatic than that and say, OK, this is the basis for negotiation, let's see where we get to. And the two sides disappear into what they call the tunnel and try and bring their positions closer. I mean, is there an argument to be made that this has been cooked up by Boris and Dominic Cummings and the disruptor squad uh, to basically give a deal to Brussels that they know Brussels won't accept? Um, I'm not sure I'd be that cynical. Uh, you really? It's like a serious attempt. I mean, look, I can't deny for a moment there's an awful lot of politics around here and it might well suit the Prime Minister to be able to say, I tried, the EU said no, a Remainer Parliament kept me in, give me a majority and I will sort Brexit out. I mean, that strikes me as a plausible electoral strategy. But I think there is enough in here, particularly on allowing Northern Ireland to stay under EU regulations, to suggest that there is a genuine effort to try and compromise. Whether it's enough is a whole different question, but I'm not sure I'd be quite as cynical as you seem to be then. Yeah, but the thing is, the cynical uh, aspect of my attitude is based not just on me being a cynic, it's based on the way that they have operated since day one. Because the way that this whole campaign has been orchestrated, it seems to me, uh, is to make it look as if it's an absolute and utter disaster, that they're staggering from one failing to another, from one you know defeat in the Commons to another defeat in the Commons, to the point where they haven't actually won a vote at all. And yet, their demeanour has been everything but that of, of people who are losing. No, that's absolutely true. And I do think that there is a blame narrative being created by Number 10, whereby it's like you have a prime minister at long last who is properly committed to Brexit. He is being stopped from delivering on the will of the people by a combination of the Europeans and the Remainer Parliament. And I think you'll see a lot of talk about that in an election campaign. But I don't think that should make us think he's not acting in good faith by putting forward something he thinks he can get through Parliament. The question is, whether the European Union think it goes far enough, and my gut feeling is, no, they won't. Yeah, but in that case, Alan, you'd have to conclude, or you could only conclude, that if this is not being orchestrated as a campaign which has been well thought out and well planned, that basically Boris Johnson is one of the worst leaders we've ever had because he can't get anything right. Well, I think Boris Johnson... And I don't think that's true. Well, no, I think Boris Johnson is a leader who finds himself in a very, very difficult situation in a parliament where there's no majority for anything, doing a Brexit where the European Union has red lines that it hasn't to date proven willing to compromise about. It is a nightmare of a negotiation. His best outcome, it seems to me, will be to get this deal done over the line so he can go to the electorate and say, I am the prime minister that did Brexit. So I, I don't doubt his seriousness on that. It is just very, very hard to accomplish because your room for manoeuvre to get a deal that satisfies both the European Union and the majority in Parliament. It's not even clear that such a deal exists, to be honest. Well, that's what I mean. So they've obviously worked that out. And I know that this is sounding more and more like my mad conspiracy theory, but I think <laughs> because they've worked this all out, that there is no way of winning uh, on, on, on a sort of a, a normal basis on a kind of level playing field where you offer a genuinely heartfelt deal that you really believe in uh, and then you just get turned down at every stage because the Europeans don't like it uh, the Brits don't like it, Parliament doesn't like it and you end up becoming a second Theresa May. I think they've worked out that actually what you do is you, 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 st you stunt it all up effectively, you stooge everybody into believing that you're coming up with a plan but the plan is never really going to work anyway so you know that that's not going to happen and then you leave with no deal. Well let me put it this way. I think my sense is that Number 10 genuinely hopes that what they've presented will form the basis of negotiation that might, lead for a, that might lead to a deal. But they are perfectly aware of the fact that that is unlikely. And so they're very prepared with a narrative that 
will get them through an election having said we tried and we failed and it wasn't our fault. So mm. I think they're hedging. I think they're definitely prepared for both eventualities. And if they've got any sense, they'll be slightly more prepared for the second because, as I said, I'm not convinced the European Union are going to sign off on the proposals as they are now. Yeah, they've also got Westminster kind of uh, beaten into disbelief, really, because I've not heard any, any kind of idea coming out of, uh, of this so-called government for national unity. That sort of fell flat as a pancake on day one when they all sat around a table and couldn't work out who they wanted to put into Downing Street uh, when they managed to finish digging the tunnel in there, you know. And so they really seem to be fresh out of ideas, the, 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 those who don't want to leave the European Union. Well, one of the big advantages that uh, Boris Johnson enjoys at the moment is that the opposition parties are so profoundly divided and none of the other opposition parties trust Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. And that division gives him a degree of room for manoeuvre. Not very much, it has to be said, but it also might provide him with an opportunity in the election that he might be able to scrape through with a majority simply because the anti-Brexit vote is going to be split. Yeah, and also, don't you think that, that Boris has kind of taken back control of the agenda now as well? He's going to appear in Parliament this morning around about 11 to 30, we think. He's going to make a statement about this Brexit deal. Um, he will probably take the odd question from Jeremy Corbyn. I can't imagine, though, um, what Jeremy Corbyn's going to say. Well, I imagine what Jeremy Corbyn's going to say, and this is the bit we haven't really talked about, about the Prime Minister's mm. proposals, is that ultimately, whilst Northern Ireland is the sticking point... The key about this deal is it is a way of creating a looser relationship with the European Union than the one that Theresa May wanted. Yeah. And what that will mean is that the economic implications will be more severe of this deal than they would have been of Theresa May's. And I suspect that that as well as Northern Ireland, is what Jeremy Corbyn will try and focus on. Yeah, he will. But, of course, he's already now locked in to kind of um, already saying he's a Remainer, he wants to remain in the European Union, he wants to have an election, uh, he wants to do a better deal with Europe and then campaign against it. I mean, he's all over the place, isn't he? Well, yeah, except what I would say is that Labour Remainers would turn around to you and say he's not a Remainer. In fact, our frustration with him is that he won't come out and say he supports staying in the European <laughs> Union. He's studiously but that's avoided what I mean. doing that. But that's what I mean. He is all over the place. I mean, the, the, the Labour Party policy uh, is to remain in the European Union now, isn't it? Well, the Labour Party policy is to offer a referendum on whatever deal Jeremy Corbyn can negotiate. And it is a complicated policy. There's yeah, no but it's to that. offer a referendum and then campaign to remain. It's to, well, it's to offer a referendum, and then Jeremy Corbyn hasn't said he'll campaign to remain. No, he I won't mean, personally, the but the Labour Party will. I think the majority of his MPs absolutely will, yes. But I think that you've got to bear in mind, they have a real... I mean, you know, Boris Johnson's got a problem with Parliament, Labour's got a problem with the seats it holds, because mm. Labour seats include the most pro-Remain and the most pro-Leaf seats in the country. So it is a genuine dilemma, and I think the calculation that Jeremy Corbyn and his team are making is we're going to sit very firmly on the fence as long as we can and hope that we can make this election about something other than Brexit, as they did pretty well in 2017. Yeah, but that was different, wasn't it? Because 2017, everybody assumed that the government was going to make Brexit happen, and it hasn't. So now we've, got, we've only got one government uh, and one party uh, and one prime minister who's saying that that's what's going to happen. It was different, indeed, but still, I wouldn't necessarily bet my mortgage on the fact that Labour won't be able to pull off the same trick again. It might be harder, but there are a lot of people around the country who are basically fed up about talking about Brexit, want to talk about the economy, want to talk about other stuff. And actually, bear in mind, the subtext of the Conservative Party conference in Manchester was investment in all these other services as well. And Labour will be hoping if we could get that debate onto that terrain, away from Brexit, we're in with a fighting chance. Yeah, I think people are actually more likely to want to talk about Brexit now because they're so fed up that they want it done. And so people I talk to and the people that ring this show and the people who tweet me and people that I meet in the street, these are all people now who say, look, 
we need before we can even talk about the hospitals and the schools and whatever else uh, you know uh, defence policy. We want to see Brexit done, and many of these people have actually voted to remain. Yeah, but bear in mind that many Remainers who say they want Brexit over and done with mean that they want to remain. No, they don't. No, that's <laughs> well, not true. I mean, I you mean, live well, in your little Westminster bubble, and you believe what you want to believe, and you talk to a lot of people <laughs> who voted to remain because that's what academics do. Well, Mike, but listen, listen, I talk to the real people, mate. Well, listen, I mean, if you, I mean, you can take them with a pinch of salt if you like, but there are all sorts of polling companies doing polling on uh, what people think about leaving the European Union. The really interesting thing is... If you look at the aggregate of those polls, very, very few people indeed have changed their minds from 2016. Uh, if there's been a shift in the polls, and there has been a slight shift toward Remain since June 2016, that is almost entirely made up of people who either didn't vote or couldn't vote in 2016. So I, I would just... So you're going with the with dead narrative now? Well, I know I would just treat with a no, no, no. I would just treat with a bit of caution the idea that on either side, relievers or remainers, there are loads of people who are changing their minds because I just don't see the evidence. Of no, that. there isn't, and I think that's absolutely fascinating because there was a time when everyone was telling me, including Steve Doughty, the MP from Cardiff, that thousands of people have been emailing him telling him they voted to leave and now they want to stay. That's all now changed. That narrative is no longer spoken about because it's not true. And it never was true. Now they're sort of clinging to the fact that, oh, well, it's still going to be very close because hardly anything's changed. No, no, I agree. But that was why I was casting a bit of doubt on the claim that there are now loads of Remainers who want to leave. There are, I think, Remainers... Well, they don't want to leave. They're just happier to, if, if we leave because then we can move on. Yeah, well, I think there is an awful lot of Brexit boredom about. That is absolutely true. But people would like us to be talking about something else and would like us just to get it done. Exactly right. And what about the rest of the uh, the agreement that is so far uh, the one which is now before Brussels? Because a lot of people have complained about the fact that there are lots of other things, apart from the backstop, which people would not like to stay in that agreement. For example, the stuff about the military, the stuff about close, ever closer ties. I mean, has that all gone? Well, we won't be covered by the EU treaties anymore once we leave. So, yes, essentially all those political bits of European integration will no longer apply to us. This is a debate simply about how much the economic rules apply to us and whether the economic rules apply differentially in Northern Ireland to the rest of the United Kingdom. Our security relationship with the European Union is something that's going to have to take, is going to have to be negotiated in the next phase. Once we've left, we start talking about our future relationship. Yeah, exactly right. So the, the debate goes on and the conversation goes on. So it ain't going anywhere anytime soon. Annan, thank you very much indeed. Annan Menon, Director of UK in a Changing Europe. Are you with Annan uh, that you're just sick to death of Brexit and you'd like to talk about something else? I don't think you are. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take your calls next. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, coming up a little bit later on, of course, we will be taking more of your calls. A lot of you still want to talk uh, about the police case, uh, which is very, very interesting indeed. The Carl Beach investigation, which is now being uh, looked upon, uh, looked at by a police watchdog organisation, because it turns out uh, that disastrous investigation that was run uh, by the Metropolitan Police in Scotland Yard into the accusations made by this fantasist, a guy by the name of Carl Beach. Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, has now ordered that to be looked at once more as to how it could have been so disastrous was how they could have believed so many of his allegations and what Tom Watson's role was in all of that. He's, of course, Deputy Leader of the Labour Party. But let's talk now to Roger Layton, Chief Executive of Partnership Learning and former head teacher, because I think there might be something in this suggestion that kids who are born in the summer months, like July and August, might suffer from some kind of disadvantage. Roger, very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon. Thanks very much for joining us. What's your experience? I mean, you run an awful lot of schools and you look at the different performances, I imagine, from different types of children, different kind of backgrounds of, of different children. What, what, what do you make of this suggestion that perhaps if, if children are younger, they might be slightly disadvantaged? I think it's true. Um, there's been lots of research over the years that's shown the same result, which is almost at every stage of a child's education, there is some deficit in their schools that you could relate to their birth date. And so those summer-born kids are potentially at a disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, the suggestion in this report is that not only are they at a disadvantage, but perhaps their marks should be adjusted. Would you, would you sanction something like that? Not adjusting marks. I think you're opening up a huge hornet's nest there because think of all the other reasons why you might argue to adjust marks. Um, you know, if you come from a particularly poor or disadvantaged background, um, boys generally do worse than girls. Should boys' schools be adjusted? So I think you'd open, you'd open up a huge area for debate there. Yeah, it starts so to go down a bit of a slippery slope, doesn't it? And also, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. an awful lot of schools now, partly because of the way the curriculum is set up, they're kind of adjusting marks anyway because they all want to make sure that they've got a higher percentage of pass rates than, than perhaps they would have if they didn't adjust them, if you know what I mean. Oh, no, I don't know what you mean. Well, let me be more specific then in that case. Let, let me oh, tell right, you, okay. my, my own experience oh, okay. is that the kids uh, and some of the, the classes that my kids have been in have definitely been adjusting sort of overall averages, shall we say, because what they want is a decent Ofsted uh, mark, you know, as, as best they can get. What they don't want is a school full of people who are getting low grades. They want a school full of people getting high grades. And I think, therefore, the grades are getting slightly, shall we say, manipulated. Ooh, um, I mean, it depends which grades you're talking about. I mean, if you talk about the, the, the main um, grades that children get at primary school, which are the grades they get in their key stage two SATs exams, which are at the end of year six. Yes. Now, there is, there is no manipulation possible there, really, because they, they are national written exams. Um, all kids take the same exams under exam conditions. Now, obviously, I suppose it could be out-and-out out direct cheating, but other than that, they're very difficult to um, uh, amend or adjust in any way. But what I would say is, for these summer-born children, what schools need to do is be aware that there could be an impact on those children's learning and their progress. And try, in particular in those first couple of years of school, reception year in particular, to put processes and practice in place that are going to help those children. Sometimes it could be as simple as, you know, they're, they're young, they still need a nap in the afternoon you know, for right. a while. To, you know, things like that it could be very simple things to get them into the habit of school, which is harder if you're significantly younger. Yeah, I mean, I suppose like everything else, it depends on the individual. I mean, I was born in August. Uh, my son, one of my sons is born in August. It hasn't really bothered me at all, but it, it sort of struck me, certainly as he got into kind of the, the, the teenage years, that physically he was quite a lot smaller than some of the other kids. Yeah, and, and as it happens, both my kids were born in June. Right. Um, and, yeah, they've both done very well. Um, you know, I'm sure it hasn't affected them massively, but you're right, and in particular things like sports. Yeah. 
um, you know, it does, it does have an impact. So I think it's for schools to be aware that this is a potential disadvantage, just like other potential disadvantages, like coming, you know, from a particularly poor background or certain ethnic backgrounds or for boys in English, for instance, and to be aware that there might be additional help needed, additional support for those kids. Mm. There's not much of a way around it, really, is there? Because there's no point in saying to people born, say, in August, well, why don't you move up um, uh, or move down a year? So then you're rather the oldest person rather than the youngest. Yeah, and you potentially um, lose actual school time then. So there is this ability for for parents to hold back a child, um, but quite likely they then don't start till the Easter reception and they've missed two terms of actual schooling. So you're right. It's whenever you've got a cut-off point, there are going to be some, some winners and losers, aren't there? So yeah. it's for schools to do their best to, to get through any of the support issues that are needed for those kids. Well, the funny thing uh, for me, for example, is that when I was, I was, I actually missed out a year of school because when I was in primary school, my mother was a teacher at that primary school and she didn't think it was a very good idea for me to go into her class. So I jumped a year. Um, so I was actually, uh-huh. at, one, at one point, I was two years behind everybody else. <laughs> but it didn't seem to do me any harm. And you were naturally bright, you see, so it didn't make any difference, did it? No, there but I, well, it, I, I made up for it later when I kept getting thrown out of class when I was in secondary school, but, you know. But, I mean... What, I, what, what, sorry, go sorry. on. No, what the data does show, actually, is, as with a lot of these various potential disadvantages, the problem often is most acute when you've got more than one disadvantage in the same child. Yes. So, you know... If you're, um, you know, a bright child from a very supportive background, but summer born, you're probably not going to be affected very much mm. by the summer born. No. But if you're a summer born child that's maybe got some other potential disadvantages, like from a very poor background um, or special needs or whatever, then it's going to exaggerate the impact of the summer born. So, but again, this is about kids being treated as individuals schools looking at the support mechanisms needed and particularly in that reception year there's an opportunity to try and create catch-up opportunities. Yes one interesting aspect and you meant you sort of touched upon this as well already about having naps and things in the afternoon apparently some local authorities uh, will say that if you don't if your child is born in the summer and they don't go uh, into reception they'll go straight into year one. Yeah, and, that, and that's that problem I mentioned earlier, that you're missing whole terms worth of education. So, OK, you might be more mature, but you've missed out on a lot of teaching, haven't you? Yeah. Um, and, and increasingly, even in that first reception year, there's a lot of actual teaching going on. You know, maybe in the old, old days, it was more, you know, learning through play and not a lot. But there's actually a lot of teaching goes on in that first year now. There really is. Sure, absolutely right. Roger, thanks very much indeed. Roger Layton, Chief Executive of Partnership Learning uh, and a former head teacher, of course, as well. One of the things that I find quite interesting is that you can't really fix this. Uh, the test shows, apparently test scores show, uh, that children who are born in the summer uh, are more likely to have special educational needs or lower self-esteem and may fall into more kinds of risky behaviour. But I think that's a massive kind of uh, oversimplification of the situation. Surely an awful lot really comes down to the family background and the parents 
parenting uh, and the sort of and the, and the sort of um, you know income level that children are coming from. But I'd love to hear what you've got to, what you've got to say about that because if your child was born in August, for example, did they suffer any more than say your child who was born uh, in January or February? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. We've got loads more calls to take. They're still up and down in the Commons. Uh, Boris Johnson's still answering questions. Uh, the Prime Minister has outlined his latest Brexit plans to the Commons, but of course Jeremy Corbyn has rejected them out of hand, as has Ian Blackford from the uh, from the SNP, on the basis that uh, it's not even as good as the last deal that Theresa May came up with. I'm not sure about that. This is Talk Radio. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, and this music, of course, can mean only one thing. It is the return uh, of the ubiquitous LaDonna Harvey from KOGO in San Diego. LaDonna, a very good morning to you. Are you calling me a tart? I'm certainly not. That would be unhelpful and probably actionable in some way, shape or form. You know, that's the sort of thing Donald Trump would do. Well, he, he might. Yeah. He might. Although you know, he tends to keep his language pretty clean, even when he's saying some pretty nasty stuff. <laughs> he does. Well, you know, his name was mentioned in dispatches again in the House of Commons because Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the opposition and a Marxist, uh, keeps referring to the new Brexit plan as a Trump Brexit. Nobody knows what he means by that. Well, yeah, I I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure he can't vote there, so I don't know that you no. can blame him. Well, I'd blame trying, him for a lot of stuff. Well, Corbyn's <laughs> trying to convince everyone that uh, when Boris Johnson leaves the European Union and takes us out of it, he's going to sell the NHS to Donald Trump, and it's going to become the Trump NHS. That seems rather far-fetched. Doesn't it? I mean, even you don't believe it. And, you know, you're no. not even au fait with all the details. It's absolute nuts and nonsense. Maybe what he means is that Boris Johnson uh, is actually going to throw a load of crocodiles into the English Channel uh, so that if anybody tries to come and visit us from parts uh, of Europe, they'll be eaten by crocodiles. 
Well, you know, we, we, we apparently considered that at our border. Um, you know, there's a problem, though. I can't believe this story. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> and, I mean, I can't help but think it was a, I mean, it, it, that it was a really graveyard sort of joke. Yeah. Um, because nobody thinks that anybody's going to build a moat and put alligators in it. Nobody thinks that. And snakes. Don't forget the snakes. Well, you know what? What is an alligator without a snake? I mean, it's technically, I'm wondering technically if you put alligators and snakes into a, a trench, right, don't the alligators eat the snakes? Well, and sometimes the snakes eat the alligators. Do they? Uh, as they found out in Florida. Yeah, there's a bunch of pythons loose in Florida. <laughs> and sometimes they find, you know, fully submerged alligators oh, yeah. sort of halfway sticking out of a snake. That's weird, isn't it's it? horrible. Isn't it horrible? The other thing that Trump apparently thought would be a great idea to stop the illegal immigrants coming across the border was to shoot them in the legs. Yeah, also not legal. No. Uh, you know, you're only allowed to shoot people who are actually trying to kill you. Uh, have you told that? Have you, sure you, have you told that to the Los Angeles Police Department? Well, you know, we try. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work. No, because they shoot quite a lot of people who are running away from them, it seems to me. Well, that seems to happen a lot across America, and we're trying to fix that. So yeah. In California, we've actually passed laws now that really restrict, and properly so, I might add, um, when a policeman can engage a, a subject and actually shoot them. It's yes. like, so you have to be in danger. <laughs> I know. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, this story about Donald Trump, though, it's coming. I mean, surely it can't have been real, can it? I, I don't think so, no. Uh, but everybody, you know, we're, we're, in full, we're in full-blown hysteria over here. Uh, so everything is taken dead seriously as though, as though, yes, he was absolutely thinking about putting a moat in at the border. Are you joking? I know. I know. And I mean, meanwhile, the whole wall idea has kind of gone uh, into the ether, hasn't it? Because apart from the fact that an awful lot of the border is covered by a fence anyway, so you didn't actually need a wall, um, none of the wall has ever been built, has it? Um, no, some of it's been rebuilt, right. uh, and it needed to be rebuilt. Um, and it's mostly fencing, as you said. It's really not... Uh, it's not a wall like you would think of, you know, the Berlin Wall. No. Uh, it's it's mostly metal fencing, and it's mostly completely breachable. So, yeah, just keep on building. What the heck? We don't yeah. So how are things going anyway? We hear that um, um, the old um, Bernie Sanders is maybe withdrawing from the race. Yeah, I think it's a possibility, although his people insist that, you know, this was a pretty routine surgery. It was a heart surgery. Uh, he had some, some shortness of breath, and they ended up putting two stents in, in one artery, uh, which is a pretty common surgery. Probably not looking good optically for him because of his age. Yeah. There's just, you know, it, it's going to be, that's going to be a factor for him. And well, do, well, do you know, I, 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 I suddenly know. realized, because I'd completely forgotten, that back in the 80s when I lived in New York, I actually interviewed him, I think, for the Sunday Times when he was running for the first time as an independent senator for Vermont. So that's how old he is. Yeah, well, he's he's getting up there now. Me too. So am I. That's <laughs> no, the trouble. Well, me three. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got some very bad news for you on the tariffs front because apparently the US has slapped 25% tariffs on European Union goods, including single malt scotch, French wine and Italian cheese. Now, I know this is going to put a terrible crimp in your lifestyle, Adonna. Well, that's pretty much what I survive on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, what, what on earth are you going to do? tough. <laughs> it's all going up by 25%, apparently. Yeah, I'm not happy about it. Not happy at all. Well, don't um, worry. Maybe when we leave the European Union, it will come, it'll, it'll come off the scotch, anyway. 
Well, exactly. And and frankly, that is the, the, the reason to live and to get up in the morning is a good is a good dram of scotch. It is. You're absolutely right. Now, let's finally uh, end with, uh, you've probably been following this very closely, uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, who have decided in their wisdom, even though it was all going quite well for a while over in South Africa, and they were kind of rehabilitating their rather tarnished image, um, they've decided to sue a newspaper here. Uh, which has gone down uh, like a bag of cold uh, sick. I can I can tell you. Yeah, it's um, it, they're interesting in that. I mean, I think they're probably generally pretty nice people, but every once in a while they come off as these overprivileged little snot. Mm. And they've it's you know maybe it's a part of growing older and getting more mature, but. Uh, publishing a letter, really? Yeah, I know. Which which was written by her. I mean, we are in, we are assured by my learned friends legal legally uh, they might have, it might have been a wrong thing for the newspaper to do because it was a breach of copyright. But to then accuse them of lying uh, just by reproducing what's in the letter seems a bit far fetched to me. Well, it does, um, and I you know I think what what Harry and Meghan honestly are trying to do is navigate the the craziness that surrounds them. Um, and frankly, it's colored by what happened to Princess Di, a woman who was literally hounded yeah, to death. Right. And I and believe me, I understand it, and I think that I think it's horrible. Um, but there has to be a better way. Well, and you would think a way to come off not looking like a jerk. Somebody did suggest to me yesterday maybe they could call Meghan's father uh, to the court case because at least then he'd have a chance to meet uh, his grandson Archie. Well, I I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. No. Well, I mean, if I was the mail, if I was the mail on Sunday, I think I'd subpoena him. Well, I, you know what? It might that might be the only way that they get out of this. Yeah. Um, although I I don't know that they actually did anything legally wrong, but I'm not as as versed in your law as I am in mine. No. Well, I'm very glad to hear that that you are versed in at least some law, because obviously, as a yeah. broadcaster, <laughs> you should know some uh, legality that you could get away with and some that you can't. <laughs> I got, I would hope so. Indeed. Thank you very much indeed. LaDonna Harvey reporting into us from San Diego. She's on the KOGO uh, breakfast radio show over there uh, in Southern California. A very nice part of the world, I have to say. I was there earlier in the year. I don't know whether I mentioned that. Uh, coming up next, we'll take more of your calls. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to John, who's in Brighton. Hello, John. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Do you want to talk about schools? Yeah, so I, I was born in July. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm 40 years old now, but I was um, at, at school. Being born in July, I was at the end, so I was quite a lot smaller. So right. what you, one of the things you brought up was about struggling in sports. Yes. And, and I did struggle in sports quite a bit, as, a, as everyone was quite a bit bigger than me. Yeah. And, and it was a mainly rugby school. Okay. I was, one of the things I was always taught was that you you doubt the cards you've got. So you've got to, you know, up your game. If, right. if you're lower than the others, try harder. Be more. Put more into it. You know, we were, we were taught to, um, that uh, it was down to us. It was our responsibility. Now I think kids are more taught that there's a reason for it. There's a blame. It's because of this. It's because of that. Right. It's because of other things. And I think it's dangerous territory. Do you because, think? Do you think it actually made you a kind of stronger individual then? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. From from a kid that that um, I mean, really small. I was a, a small person anyway, but compared to the others, and, and mainly being rugby. But because I was pushed, and because I was told, no, it is what it is. Get on with it. 
Um, I, I ended up playing county rugby for Stafford, um, you know, and, and, and went on from there. I've always been very physical. You know, I think it did me a lot of good in class as well because it gave me the confidence mm. knowing, all right, well, if I try harder, I can be better. So in class, I kind of followed that as well. Yes. So in my school grade, went up with it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I was born in August, so I was always more or less the youngest in the class. It never really bothered me at all. It never really even occurred to me that that, that was the, that was a problem. Yeah, I mean, my young, my well, my middle child now, Richard, he's going through the same thing. He's quite a lot smaller than his friends. Right. And and he refuses to be beat at anything. We've installed it into him to don't make excuses for yourself. Yeah. You know, you can push yourself. You can do it. You can be better. You just need to put in that little bit more time. If you've got to put in more time, then do it. Yes. And um, and he's fantastic now. I mean, he really has really pushed himself in his school and his grades have gone up and, um, yeah, he's really interested in sports sure. now. And, and that's why, that's why when, I, when I said it's all, an awful lot of it's down surely to the parents and, and the, your home background, I'm sure that's true. You know, some kids who don't maybe have parents like you or like I had might be suffering, but then again... You know, you can't legislate for that. I, would, I don't think you should right. in any way change the grades that they get just because they're disadvantaged. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's where the blame thing comes in as well because I think now we now we skip that generation of work harder to get what you want and we're now in the... Even the parents are in... Uh, we've got that parenting where it's always someone else's fault. It's always got to be something. It's yeah. not your kid. It's someone else's fault. Instead of teaching your kids to take responsibility... For themselves, we're now teaching them that, well, that's their fault. They should have done better. Yes, absolutely right. Great call, John. Thank you very much indeed. John there, uh, I think making uh, a case for all parents, really, who have kids who might be disadvantaged in one way or another, whether it's because of when they were born uh, or whether it's because of, you know, some disability they may have or some reading difficulty or some learning difficulty, sometimes uh, that can actually be a force for good because it might mean that you can uh, instill more uh, confidence into your child and make them overcome whatever that is, that adver adversity. Because I think the problem for now is if too many kids have too too easy a life at the beginning, then they're not really prepared for life when they get older. Let's talk to Daniel, who's an absolute... Hi, Daniel. Morning, Chief. How are you doing? Very well indeed. Very well. What do, you, what do you make of it all? I think... I look at our political landscape today and I kind of think we've got the worst opposition of all, all the opposition. I think it's the worst opposition ever in political history. Yes. I've, I've never known it so bad. And do you know, if I was Boris, what I'd be tempted to do to get a no-deal Brexit, I'd go to the SNP and say, if you don't, if you <clears throat> give me the green light, if you don't try to stop a no-deal Brexit, I'll give you another independence referendum. Mm. Yeah, but he can't do that, can he? Because he daren't do that, because he doesn't want to be the guy who gave away Scotland. I'm not saying that the, uh, the referendum would result in, a, in an independence vote for yes, but what if it did? He'd then be remembered as the, politi as the politician and the, and the Prime Minister who gave away the union. No, but I think you have to bet... Listen, Mike, sometimes things change, mate, yeah? And I, I think what after we've left on a no-deal Brexit and then we start to negotiate, I think the Scots have a really clear option. Do we vote to leave our union to join the European Union or do we stay as a member of Great Britain? And I think that starkness would ensure that... They, they wouldn't leave our union. And I, I think that's the best way to do. Yes, Give no, I, I don't disagree with that, but I still think it could be a risk for Boris Johnson to put himself out there and, and, and it could go wrong for him. I mean, look what happened to David Cameron. I know, but I mean, the British were hoodwinked into the, Euro the European Union, political union. We, we, it, 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 
even Macron said if I gave the French people a vote, they'd probably vote to leave as well. I, I, I give it, I give it a decade. I don't think it will be the institution it is in ten years' time. Yeah, I think, no, I agree. I, mean, I agree with that. But well, here's another way we could do it, uh, Daniel. We could give the Scots a second referendum uh, when they vote for independence. We just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, we could. Just, yeah, but we, we shouldn't treat them like the EU treated us. And no, of course might, not. And sometimes things change, mate. You know, if you want to leave, that's fine. Go and try it. Go and join the EU on your own for a decade and see how you get on. Right. I, I, listen, it's not... Can we not bill life, Can we not charge them a bucket load of money as well to leave? Well, we'd probably be up majorly because of the Barnet formula. We'd yeah. probably, for every woman and child in England and Wales and Northern Ireland, we'd probably be really well off. So it's not... Listen, so sometimes in life things change and we shouldn't always fight it. And uh, I, I'd give him another indie ref. We're, we're pretty certain to, okay. to win anyway. But I'd get the SNP on side and do that. All right, good idea. Daniel, I'll pass it on to the Tories that I know. Let's talk to Peter in Wimbledon. Hello, Peter. Hi, Mike. Good morning. I just uh, before I get to Brexit point, I want to make a quick point on climate change. Yes. Um, it, I, I find it quite surprising that the people of your profession, you are siding with someone who actually ordered the use of chemical nuclear weapons on the streets of UK, murders political opponents and journalists. Sorry, I thought, I thought you were going to talk about climate change. Yeah, about climate change, because you're siding Vladimir Putin as a... I'm not, si I'm a, not siding with Vladimir Putin. I'm telling you, you what are. Vladimir Putin said about Greta Thunderbird. Well, well you, clearly you're quoting him, so you share his views. You share well, his right, views right, no, I don't, and, and, I don't share the no, views no, of no, everyone. No, excuse me, excuse me. I don't, I, just because I quote people, it doesn't mean I share their views, does it? Well, why did you suggest that Greta Thunberg should go to Kremlin and try protesting there? Why did you say that? Why? Because she wouldn't get a very warm welcome, that's why. Well, because you wouldn't want to live in Russia, in a country where people like yourself will be locked up. You wouldn't want to do that. Why I don't, do live, I don't, I don't, I don't she, live in Russia. I'll tell you where else I don't want to live, Pete. I wouldn't even want to live in Wimbledon because it gets crowded every summer when the tennis is on. But that doesn't make me anti-tennis. Well, the, the fact of the matter is that you're siding with someone clearly. No, you said, you're absolutely wrong, Peter. You are completely, you you're completely, you're completely and utterly wrong. Uh, I don't know why you think I side with Vladimir Putin when I've quite clearly in the past been quite uh, dismissive of Vladimir Putin, and I certainly don't agree with much of what he does. So you're completely wrong. What do you want well, to ask? Okay. What do you want? You said you wanted to talk about Boris. Well, Boris is clearly it's a blame game, and the thing is that. Do you think I side Boris with him then? Well, you, you side with him all the way. Who do you side with, Peter? Well, I side with sensible people who like don't realise that... Who is, your, who is your party of choice politically? Well, well my party of choice, actually, I mean, I'm a bit torn. I used to vote Tory all the time. Did you? We haven't got a, we haven't got a position in this country, that's my point. So, I, who, so who are you that. going to vote for in the next election, then? Well, I, I, I'm actually... I probably have to vote on, on the Brexit issue alone. I have to be Lib Dems, and, and I would say, tell you, you why... You have to be Lib Dem? Well, because you don't believe in the rights of 17.4 million people, is that what you're saying? Well, 17.4 are you some kind of are you some kind of fascist, Peter? Well, well, 17.4 million people were conned by people. By oh, people really? Like that's yourself. a that's a lot of people to con. That's quite a good yeah, country. Well, a lot because, because how do you know that, Peter? Because people, what well, well, proof is people call us to your station. That's the caller before. People believe that no deal is going to bring prosperity to this country. They don't realise that at present we have 80 circa trade deals as a member of European Union with outside world, outside European Union. Once we leave European Union without a deal, we're not only going to lose trade deals we have with 27 EU member states, but all the other countries. Liz Trust only managed to negotiate seven out of 80 deals. So, so guys, those guys who are, who are praying we're going to go on WTO should just do a bit of research basic on Google. What so are you, what are you the only guy that knows... You, you're the only guy that knows anything about Brexit, Peter, is that right? What do you do for a living, Peter? 
Well, it makes no difference what I do a living. I run my own business. And, and uh, what I would like to say to you is... What do you I mean guess, it makes no difference? You, of course it well, makes a difference. Everything well, makes a difference. So well, I can tell you about more about you than any of your callers, because most of your callers to your station fan club of yours, yeah... They just as, as I don't have a fan club, Peter. I don't have a fan club. I don't have a fan club. Maybe you should well, start. Well, maybe you can start one for me. Well, I can probably start one for you. But what we have to realize, man, you have responsibility. In front, you, you have access to the British nation via radio, that's and you right. should keep people informed. You're, you're you also you're, you also have access to the British nation via radio because that's what you're doing at the moment, talking to them. Well, thank you very much. And I, I would like to make a point that those people who should pay more attention to what politicians are doing, if they believe that Britain's going to be better off by just cutting off and going WTO, no deal... I don't, think, anyone's, I don't think anyone's ever said that they'd be better off. I think everybody understands that if there is a no-deal Brexit, which is actually not really what it should be called, it will not be particularly great in the short term. However, it may not be the disaster that people who say uh, that we should stay in the European Union make out that it will be. But all the people on your side said to us, "Will be no." I'm not on any side. I'm not. I'm not. Listen, I'm in the middle, Peter. I'm completely neutral here. This is the most balanced show on the radio. Did you not know that? Well, you you wish you were, but you know, you're not not coming across like that. I don't know. Like a staunch, hard lever who has all your senses left him. You know. Why do you think? Why do you say that? I didn't even vote to leave. Well, trying to portray yourself as someone who is sensible and neutral. I don't have to Just portray myself, Peter. I don't have to portray myself as somebody sensible, but it's very clear that there's only one deranged person in this conversation. It's you. You've, you've become obsessed with me. You're telling me that I'm a fan of Vladimir Putin. You're telling me that I voted to leave. You're telling me that I'm some kind of mad Brexiteer. You are wrong, wrong, wrong and wrong. Well, you're promoting the idea of, of no-deal Brexit as some sort of a... No, I'm not. Uh, when did I promote the idea of no-deal Brexit? It, well, all of your callers well, calling in and you... you well, oh, so is it them. me or is it them? Which is it? Well, you, 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 should, you should stop people. When people talk nonsense, your job is to stop them. OK, you, I'm going to stop you right now because you're talking nonsense. Peter, thank you very much indeed. What a great way to end the show. You can, of course, call us back tomorrow. We're back at 10. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.